Well, hello from Los Angeles, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School for Sunday, February 10 of 2013. It's 1 o'clock Pacific, 4 o'clock in the East, 21 hours universal time. Nice to be with you. Thanks for being here live or listening to the replay or the podcast in any event. We have about uh, 20 minutes for you here today and will be followed by a premium training at 1.30 Pacific. Hope you're able to join us for that, but in any event, this uh, particular program is called the Free Forum because it is free of charge and uh, happy to do it, make it available streaming and podcast for you every week. Today we're going to talk about what I think is a really profound concept that is rarely considered. It is assumed by Christians, by Catholics and Protestants alike, that the soul is fashioned upon conception. This is an ancient church teaching that was decided in the First Council of Nicaea, called by the Roman Emperor Constantine, Caesar Flavius Constantine, who was originally a pantheist or a pagan. He uh, revered, as most people in, let's see, it'd be the uh, second century, wouldn't it? The 300s. Zeus and Apollo and the pantheon of Roman gods. But staring at the sun one day, he said he saw a cross And so he converted to Christianity and called this council, inviting bishops from all over the world to come together. And it was at this point that a number of canons or laws or principles of the Catholic Church were decided. Most of them passed on to the Protestants after the Reformation led by Martin Luther. One of them is the idea that the soul is fashioned by a divine being upon conception. This has created a big stir in the right to choose and right to life uh, abortion controversy. When does life begin? Which is really a trick question because life has no beginning if you're a spiritually oriented person, and it has no end. Certainly, most Christians would agree that life has no end, whether your destination is seen as heaven or hell, you continue on. But the idea that life has no beginning, this is controversial. This is why, frankly, Millions of our ancestors, tens of millions of Europeans and others, were murdered, beheaded, waterboarded, and otherwise tortured, drawn and quartered, pilloried, or believing in, much less teaching, the pre-existence of the soul. Now, You probably have heard at some point, especially if you're here today and inclined toward metaphysics and mysticism and esoteric philosophy, you've probably heard the quote that is most often attributed to the 20th century Jesuit Teilhard de Chardin, that you don't have a soul, 
Rather, you are a soul. Everybody seems to look, well, I won't say everybody. <laughs> Those dissatisfied with traditional Catholic and fundamentalist Protestant churches and their dogma and approach often find that very refreshing and a bit of a breakthrough that a soul is not a part of me that I possess that, again, was fashioned upon conception and tucked inside and which is liberated upon death. What if I don't have a soul, but I am, as Deschardins suggested, what if I am a soul? Well, this actually speaks to the ancient pre-Christian idea of the pre-existence of the soul, and it's part and parcel of what's called by theologians transmigration of souls, or more popularly, reincarnation. Now, the truth of the matter is, and you can research this if you'd like, indeed, if you find this interesting, I'd encourage you to do your research. Most of the early church fathers, the Christian scholars, bishop or otherwise, that worked to form the early principles and teachings of the Catholic or Christian church, believed in the preexistence of the soul as taught by Christ. They also believed in the transmigration of souls as taught by Christ. And I could get into this, and yet it would sort of be a sidetrack if I attempted to document it now, but there are many books that have been written about reincarnation and as a as a ancient Christian concept or even an Essene concept. Christ was a member of a Jewish sect called the Essenes that saw women as equal to men. And they believed in reincarnation it's believed by many scholars. I mean, I, who's to say definitively, right? I respect everybody's right to believe whatever they want to believe, and I'm not teaching the one right way. We're just looking at the alternative here today in the free forum and also in the premium training, the idea that your soul may already be in heaven. And indeed, some part of you is already in hell. Well, <laughs> we're gonna, that's our title, our topic for the day. But it has to be traced to this idea of the pre-existence of the soul and the transmigration or reincarnation of the soul. So early church fathers like Origen of Alexandria, for example, were pantheists or pagans. That's the derogatory term that's often used for a pantheist. Someone who sees divinity not only as transcendent, and God as the totality of all that is, but also recognizes divinity as imminent. I don't mean immanent, about to happen. I mean imminent, that is divinity within all things. This again has been written off by the church for nearly 2,000 years as paganism in the most derogatory way. Panentheism, as we've discussed in past weeks, is pantheism, 
divinity imminent, God in everything, and therefore everything in the world is sacred because not only did God make it, but it is God. Like the cats and the dogs and the horses and the whales and the trees and the flowers and the grasses are not objects made by a divine being so much as they are the divine being. They are expressions of divinity. This is a thunderous breakthrough for many people. And this is why our ancient ancestors often talked not only about the one God, but the one life, or as the ancient Egyptians, the Hermeticists would say, the one thing, all right? The one is in every form, physical, dense, separated thing, and everything is in the one. The one is in everything, and everything is in the one. Sometimes expressed as the all is in the all. But I find that a little confusing. So, The one is in everything, everything is in the one. This means that we are, as many philosophers have said, perhaps extensions of a soul that existed before we were conceived. That conception creates the body and an opportunity for the soul to inhabit, to incarnate, whether it's reincarnation or one shot is all you get, consider this concept of the preexistence of the soul, meaning you are already in heaven. Now, again, that's heresy. That uh, is reason enough to be burned at the stake or pilloried or, or waterboarded, right? To teach, to preach, to speak of or even consider to be aware of this option is the great blasphemy. This is the central heresy of the ages, the idea that you don't have a soul, you are a soul, that some aspect of the soul is indwelling, but it is an extension of an overshadowing soul that shares the ground of God, that's Plato, the soul shares the ground of God. The soul could also be said to be somewhat like a wave on the ocean, in that it's still part of the one ocean, but it's not that wave, it's individuated. It's not this wave over here, it's not that wave, but it's still clearly grounded in the ocean, whereas the dewdrop or the raindrop, the ocean is in the drop, but the drop is separated from the ocean. And that's a nice way to look at it, you know, as if God or the absolute, the source, the creator is some unbounded, unlimited, everywhere equally present ocean. The soul shares the ground of God like a wave upon the ocean, but it's only when water is separated from its source, the ocean, as a dewdrop or a raindrop or a snowflake, that it gets confused and forgets ultimately it is of the ocean, but it's so lonely out here as a separated drop that sometimes we forget that the ocean is in us 
that the soul is in you. You don't have it. You are a extension, an extension or an expression of a soul that's already in heaven. Well, if this is true, and your soul's already in heaven, understandably, the church, which sees its job as saving souls from going to hell, is rather out of work if your soul is already in heaven. But I would propose if your soul is in heaven now, if you are, in fact, some sort of extension or reflection, just like you can turn your back to the sun, but the light you perceive with your eyes is a reflection of light from that star we call the sun. So if incarnation is a reflection of a spiritual source called the soul that is not separated from the one life or the ocean, we ought to be able to hear that oversoul. We ought to be able to connect to that wisdom. And yet, throughout the ages, mystics, whether Jewish Kabbalists or Rosicrucian Christians or Sufis in Islam or Buddhists or Taoists or the more mystical Veda-based Hindus, they all have pretty much the same understanding of the appearance of being separated, but you cannot think your way to your source. You must access or approach divinity free from thought. You must develop an ability to quiet the mind and exit, if you will, through the gap or the silence between the thoughts. If you're going to contact yourself as soul, you're going to have to use a non-logical, it would not need to be illogical, but it would be a a non-logical process called intuition. After all, where do these great ideas come from that burst into your awareness as if already thought out, that are always positive? I mean, if it's fear-based, it's not an intuition. It came from your thinking nature. But a real inspiration, look at the word, to inspire, to breathe into, like to conspire is to breathe with, to expire is to breathe out. Inspiration is divine intuition. Perhaps intuition has no other source. We could describe it as the subconscious mind, but maybe the subconscious mind is rather a medium that connects us to the soul. And when information comes from the subconscious into the conscious awareness, bursting into our consciousness with that eureka illumination, that aha experience, Maybe it's not coming from the subconscious so much as through the subconscious and from the oversoul. And that's why it's always so positive, so life-affirming, so valid and truthful. And I would argue arrives intuition 
with what I've always called a confirmation rush, a sense of, yeah, that's it. It's a ha, <laughs> eureka, I found it. It's uh, obvious, why didn't I see it before? It's a burst of light. And again, it does not come through reasoning. So by developing our intuition, quieting the mind, using some sort of meditation or contemplation to still the body, calm the emotional nature, that's important, quiet the mind, go out, if you will, with your awareness through the gap between your thoughts. We ought to be able to pose questions to this over-self, this higher self, maybe what the Catholic Church has called your guardian angel is your own soul. Maybe when people think they're talking to Jesus or the Lord Almighty, it's their own oversoul, above and free of form, on a plane between the ultimate source, the Father aspect of divinity, and earth. Indeed, the idea of God, soul, man is a trinity, Father, Son. What does the Father represent but the divine source? The Son, the Christos, is the soul aspect, the perfect human being. The Christos, the the Savior, your salvation is to come in touch with Jesus or with your own soul. And Much is said in philosophy about the idea of the soul working in groups, that the soul is never alone. If the father aspect is all that is, and we're separated, the one and the many, in form we're the many, separated, ultimately the father aspect represents the totality, well then the soul would be a group, the one, the group, and the many, God, soul, man, one, group, many. Groups of souls are called ashrams or houses. Remember Christ said, my father's house has many mansions. These are the groups of souls. And again, I would just argue that while this is something to be considered in the abstract, what if we put it to the test? What if we began to deliberately, through meditation and contemplation, calming the emotional nature and quieting the mind while sitting still, attempt to develop this contact, this connection with your own oversoul above and free of form? That's what we're going to talk about in the premium training about Oh, eight or nine minutes from right now. Tuition is a pocket full of change, half of what you'd pay for lunch, so I hope you can join us. Just trundle on over to theagelesswisdom.com. It's one of my primary, it's probably my primary website. I have several. And the T-H-E is part of it, so after the W's, theagelesswisdom.com. Click on webinars and then premium training. You can use your ATM card, your bank card, sign up in about 60 seconds. 
just for one class, or you get a nice discount if you enroll for a 13-week quarter, and an even deeper discount if you enroll for an entire year, 52 weeks of these premium classes. They run anywhere from an hour and 10 to an hour and 30 minutes. And they always start at 1.30 Pacific right after this free forum. Of course, because they're tuition-based, they're not podcasts, but they are available as replay on demand. So if you're not able to listen live on a given week, that's just fine. In fact, a day or two after the live premium training, I post a CD quality version. So if you want to download the MP3, wait a day or two after you listen live and you can have a CD quality version that you keep on your computer or put on your smartphone, your iPod, your iPad, any MP3 uh, portable player, you know. So you can register now or just before the class at one thirty. TheAgelessWisdom.com Okay, let's do a quick meditation right now. Close your eyes, breathe, relax. As you exhale, feel the letting go throughout your body. Know that it takes a minute or two, especially for beginners, to get to a nice, quiet place. And consider the possibility that if you ask a question and hold it gently in your mind and in your heart, not about others, but something very personal, you ask for guidance in your life. And you're patient. You wait 15, 20, 30 seconds maybe for the mind to quiet enough for an answer to come. Perhaps as a gentle dawning of an awareness, but not a reasoning process. Perhaps as a light bulb popping on or maybe even being thunderstruck. This explosive epiphany of aha, Anything in between the dawning, the slow, gradual awareness I'm beginning to see to this explosion of light or the light bulb popping on, intuition arrives as light, as an aha, as, oh, I see, I get it. Or maybe you're more auditory, maybe you'll hear a voice. And if I had the time given my real-world constraints here. I'd stop talking and be quiet enough for you to do this, but you can repeat this on your own. And this is what you'll do. Simply ask a question. Is there a future for me in this relationship? Should I take this job or that job? Should I continue pursuing this difficulty in my life or Should I learn from my mistakes and go in another direction? Something very personal, something very significant that you would ask your own oversoul for guidance and then watch and listen for the answer to come 
Take a slow, deep breath. And as you exhale now, open your eyes wide awake, knowing you can go back and practice this technique. And hopefully you'll join us for the premium training. Now, if your soul's already in heaven, obviously that's where you're going to end up when you die. So what's hell? Well, this would be hell, your existence on earth. And your job as a soul incarnate is to bring heaven to earth to bring heaven into this hellish, lonely existence, to return a negative with a positive, to be kind to people who don't even like you, to love your enemy. So earth is hell, and your soul's already in heaven. You're already in heaven and hell, and heaven and hell are already in you. Your ego is hell. Pursue it in the material world, Stuff and money and power, you will know hell in this existence. Pursue what matters, love and kindness and compassion and be gentle and forgiving and you'll bring heaven to earth. Something to think about. Not telling you how it is, just something to consider. Thanks for being here. Hope to see you in the premium training in a couple of minutes. Be gentle, love life. Take care of each other. Talk to you next week. So long from LA.